are entering the Freedom Hut. Pandemonium on day one of Brett Kavanaugh's SCOTUS hearings. We'll talk about what happened today on Capitol Hill with the Senate confirmation battle heating up. And also, are all jobs worthy of dignity and respect? The answer is yes. We got quite a reminder of this over the weekend. I'll break that down and much more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I welcome everyone to this confirmation hearing on the nomination of Mr. Chairman. Brett Kavanaugh. Mr. Chairman. To serve as Associate Justice. Mr. Chairman, I'd like Supreme to be recognized Court, for a United question States. before we proceed. I've been through nine Supreme Court hearings. Mr. Chairman, I have an opportunity pending. to respond to my colleague from Texas because Please. he is directly challenged. You're out of order. Well, I was just going to say some things. That portion of today's hearing with his testimony. Mr. Tomorrow Chairman. morning. Mr. Chairman. When will we review Senator Blumenthal's motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn, Mr. Chairman. I think we're entitled to a vote on it. Mr. Chairman, if I might add an additional point. And Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman, I agree with my colleague, Senator Harris. Mr. Chairman, we received 42,000 documents that we haven't been able to. Mr. Chairman, if I may. On to what I believe was a personal attack. I'd like to have you give Senator Feinstein the courtesy of listening to her opening statement or read or analyze. You're out, you're out of order. I'll proceed. We cannot possibly move forward, Mr. Chairman, I extend this hearing, a very warm welcome to Judge Kavanaugh. We have not been Judge given Kavanaugh an opportunity to have a meaningful his wife, hearing Ashley, on this nominee. There are two daughters. Well, I was just going to say some things. Pandemonium down on Capitol Hill today, folks. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. That was just a just a taste of what went on there. So that was from the Senate side. Now, you, you had a bunch of senators acting like a bunch of crybabies. They're, they're pulling all these procedural, and they're not even really, this is the equivalent, folks. It's not parliamentary procedure that they're relying on here. It's not, oh, a motion to, to do this, and, and it's actually going to happen. This is the equivalent of, I, we, we can't do this because I need a potty break. I need a potty break. We can't confirm him. Well, that's not a thing. That's not a rule. There's no potty break exception to the Constitution. What What do you mean? You, you don't have time to review? The, you've had eight weeks to review all kinds of documents. These are the documents that have been produced. That's it. That's what you got. Deal with it. We, we, we need more time. Let me guess. By November 7th, then they might be able to make a determination. This whole thing was ridiculous today, but it was tough to tell who was more uh more ridiculous the, the senators or the the insane i mean insane left-wing protesters um you know Cor- cory booker for example on the senate side he kept saying that he wouldn't hire an intern if he only saw 90 percent of his resume this was a line he repeated ad nauseum you know i, I wouldn't hire somebody if I only saw 90 percent of the resume and i just want to note for the senator that if your intern applicant submitted a 400,000-page resume, you would call the Capitol Police on him, okay? You wouldn't say, where's the other 30,000 pages? It's the dumbest analogy I've ever heard in my life. This guy keeps just digging into it. It's it's just, it's bizarre. Absolutely, positively bizarre. Uh, but, you know, it was never about the documents, folks. It was never anything that they... 
Uh, there was never any principle involved here. Um, and the left was just nuts today. The left was completely losing it. Uh, let's see what we've got here. Uh, p- play, do me a favor. Play 15 and then 14. She convinced me with whatever that screeching was. It's an attack on women's rights and an attack on democracy. Shut this hearing down. This hearing is an attack on women's rights and an attack on democracy. Shut this hearing down now. Shut this hearing down. Shut this hearing down. This is an attack on women's rights and democracy. How is it? How is a hearing an attack on? Think about this. What if the hearing? What if they decided, uh, you know, not not to vote for Kavanaugh? How is the hearing itself? I mean, these people are imbeciles, absolute imbeciles. And, you know, at the rate they were being tossed out of that room, I wonder if MSNBC's ratings are going to go down tonight because they've got some people that might have to get out of jail. You know, this is this is a bunch of loons. And folks, I, I can't help but notice this didn't happen during the Kagan or Sotomayor hearings. You didn't have people like, you know, my name's my name's Bob and uh and I'm uh you know, uh, uh work at uh own an auto body shop downtown and and I'm married and have three children and I'm just here to scream and yell in the back of the room because I, I I hate the liberals, right? I mean, you know, you, you don't get people on the right doing this. We don't do this. Our people, our side just does not do this. I don't know what else to say, you know? Uh, we, we, we don't we don't show up at these hearings and act like maniacs. You know, we, we don't have a guy named named Bill in accounting from, you know, Massachusetts, who's a you know, traditional Republican who shows up and is like, well, I really disapprove of Sotomayor and Kagan and I'm going to interrupt the hearing now. You know, we don't have that. We don't do that. I'm a constitutional conservative and I also believe in the Second Amendment. And now let me yell and scream. This is a thing that the progressive left does. And we're not supposed to remark on this, right? Like, they, we knew there were going to be lunatics at the hearing. Linda Sarsour was there, you know, has to get, has to get her, you know, two minutes of uh, TV time or whatever. Uh, We knew that they would do it. And it was a, a circus. And you also had this notion that they should just, so you have the crazy hecklers trying to shut it down. And you even had... Senators basically trying to shut it down. Blumenthal, who is just so gross. Blumenthal was was trying to just say that the hearing shouldn't even happen. Play 10. And you're rightly proud. Chairman, if if we cannot be recognized, I move to adjourn. The American people. Chairman, I move to adjourn. Directly from Judge Kevin Mr. Chairman, I move to adjourn. Mr. Chairman, we have been denied. We have been denied real access to the documents we need to advise. Mr. Chairman, regular orders called for, which turns this hearing into a charade and a mockery of our norms. 
Well, and Mr. Chairman, I therefore move to adjourn this hearing. Okay. Okay. You know, they're all all a bunch of Hillary all a bunch of Hillary voters back there, folks. Just remember that. You know, it, I I know that it's look on the one hand, it's just amusing that that this is uh, that these are they're all Democrats back there. They're all leftists that are screaming, yeah, 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 just just yelling and oh yeah, she's convinced me. Whatever she's shrieking back there, now I I must think she's right. I want to remind all of us of this, and I want to take the time to speak to you about it. Because one of the pitches that you hear from Democrats is, you know, we need more responsible adult leadership in, uh, you know, back back in the White House. That we need serious politicians, not like Trump, to be in charge. And then you see this. Not only do you have the Democrats' base showing us who they are, which is a bunch of lunatics, a bunch of maniacs who have no respect, no decorum, no public decency whatsoever, and just think, and are just mad with babyish rage. And then you get the Democrats who are just making fools of themselves. If they want to oppose Kavanaugh because he's not going to be some leftist who gives them whatever they want, fine. You know, if that's the approach that they want to take, if, if they're really going to uh, make this completely and overtly political, all right, you know, that's that's at least an argument. But to say that they don't have the documents and all this other stuff is just bunk. And by the way, before you before some of you may be thinking, Buck, it's not fair to to blame the Democrats for the protesters. They didn't. Most of the Democrat senators there, they didn't shut them down. They weren't rebuking them. Here's uh, what, what Elizabeth Warren said. Play 16. All these protesters out here today. I'm glad they're here. They're exercising their freedom. Would you tell them to stay? You bet. Can I get another photo? Now, to be fair, I, I would I would assume that in that case, she's talking about some protesters probably who are outside of the actual gallery where the hearing's happening, but... She likes the protesters. What are they doing exactly, though? What do they think they're accomplishing other than just harassing people walking in and out of the building? The, the, the whole notion of protest. Now, folks, the protest movements of the 60s and getting uh, a mass of, of people together on the streets and causing a spectacle, which is what a, what a protest is. It is meant to be seen by people. Uh, this is really an outmoded thing that... Um, now, when you look at it, it doesn't take into account that you don't have to do this. There's so many ways to organize and get your message out without shrieking and yelling and saying, but there's a protest culture on the left. They like to do this. And this goes to Alinsky. Alinsky said for, for the purposes of, of left-wing organizing and active, uh, activism, you know, you want your activities to be fun. And people, they like to do this. On the left, they like to protest. It makes them feel... Uh, relevant and powerful and virtuous and good and, you know, all that stuff. That's why they sit out there and, and say these things. That's why uh, 
they would waste everyone's time by by shrieking at this hearing. Um, it it is only in the left though that you see this stuff. It is only a a leftist tendency. Um, and you know, it, it was tough to tell who was worse. You know, on the on the one hand, you had all of these uh, senators who were just acting like complete clowns. I mean, really, really low-grade stuff from them. And I don't expect much from Democrat senators. And then on the, on the other hand, uh, you have these, these crazy left-wing activist protester types who just have no respect whatsoever for anything. And we're just on day one, folks. This, this is just the beginning of this. It, it's only, it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Um, we'll, we'll continue to watch it. I mean, at the end of this, I got to say, I think Kavanaugh gets through, which is a huge win for Trump and the administration and a great thing for, I don't even want to say conservative, just for constitutional jurisprudence. This whole this whole idea of a, of a court that's divided 4-4-1 four, four, and one with a swing vote, this is a farce. I don't want judges that are on one, one ideological side or the other. I want judges who look at the law and interpret the law. That's what I want. I, I don't want judges who come up with their own policy preferences and replace the law with that. Democrats do. This is, this is a, a, we're seeing a major difference here in philosophy about what the Supreme Court should really be all about. Um, and I just think that, uh, that, you know, th- th- this is, this is worth everybody remembering. You know, the, the other thing, well, let, let me get more into what you can expect from the Democrats over the next few days. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900 buck. Uh, we have much more coming. We'll be right back. The whole argument is you can be a conservative Republican president, but you got to nominate a liberal to be fair to the country. That's absurd. Where do you think Ruth Bader Ginsburg came from? She was a general counsel with the ACLU. Wonderful person. Clinton. It didn't bother anybody for Clinton to nominate Breyer while he was under investigation. We actually did it. This is shaping up to be the hypocrisy hearing. It's hard to do in the Senate. You know, that actually came up as well when I had uh, when I interviewed uh, actor and activist Alyssa Milano. And she said, well, you know, Trump's under investigation. He shouldn't be able to uh, he shouldn't be able to appoint anyone. I said, well, Clinton was under investigation. She goes, oh, how could you know? Unprecedented. We'll talk more about unprecedented later. This concept of Trump is doing something that no one's ever done, except for the last president before him and probably the one before that. Uh, but, you know, the the. the Arguments being made by Senate Democrats here are not arguments made really in good faith. And that's I think that's very important for us all to uh, to keep in mind as we go through this. The, the arguments that the Democrats are making are the Democrats in the Senate are, are not things that we should be forced to take seriously. You know, for one thing, there'll be a lot of there's no political litmus test for the Supreme Court nominees. You'll, you'll hear that a lot. But then they'll ask a bunch of political litmus test questions. It's very tiresome, but. It is a constant in these hearings, and it's a constant that is reliant on a faulty uh, sensibility or faulty idea of what the Democrats, or or rather what the Supreme Court is supposed to do, and how it really functions as a co-equal branch 
of of government. Um, but I mean, it was it was a, it was a bad day, I think, for the Democrats. They're, they're going after this guy. I'll talk to you more about Kavanaugh in a moment, and then we'll get into Woodward's book and socialism and healthcare in this country. I, I got I got a lot for you in the rest of the show. And we're not just talking. I know a lot of people are going to just beat the whole hearings thing into the ground here. They talk about it all day and all night, and uh, it's it's really not worth that much of our time. But I mean, as my friend Kim Strassel wrote today, Senate Dems in the Kavanaugh hearing. All we're asking is for Republicans to throw over all precedent and procedure so we can pretend we didn't lose an election. That's right. That's what this is really about. Democrats are throwing a tantrum because elections have consequences and they don't like this particular consequence one bit. It is going to boost conservative support for this president, especially going into the midterms. It's going to unify the party. It also will help those of us who... You know, don't don't see eye to eye with Trump on all of his stylistic and personal matters, but signed on for the agenda, signed on for for what he could produce, what he could do, what he could accomplish. And this is big. Once you get from but Gorsuch, as the snark has been from the never Trumpers to but Gorsuch and but Kavanaugh, get rid of the butts. It's a lot. Uh, That that is a multi-generational win for conservatives and conservative con- and for constitutionalism. Uh, so we, we will have Trump to thank for that. Assuming this doesn't go off the rails, I, I do have my worries. I do have my worries that uh, Flake might defect. I think he will. I think Flake might be, the, be a, a no vote on Kavanaugh. And then all you need is one other weak, quizzling Republican one other one to, and then you got a real problem on your hands. So I, I, I'm not treating this as, as mission accomplished already. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm holding out on that until we get, we get quite a bit more. But I wanted to talk to you more about Kavanaugh because, you know, the, the efforts to discredit him and the efforts to um, go after him have been really disgraceful. Uh, and this is a guy who, he's, he's as good as it gets. As a as a jurist, his resume, his background, his temperament, everything. So let, let's let's look at the positive side, or the real side, I should say, of what's going on here with Kavanaugh and, and who we're seeing on display here, and what a great Supreme Court nom, uh, Supreme Court justice he would be. Over the past eight weeks, I've witnessed firsthand the Senate's deep appreciation for the vital role of the American judiciary. I have met with 65 senators, including almost every member of this committee. Those meetings are sometimes referred to as courtesy calls, but that term understates how substantive and personal our discussions have been. I've greatly enjoyed all 65 meetings. In listening to all of you, I have learned more about our country and the people you represent. Every senator is devoted to public service and the public good. And I thank all the senators for their time and their thoughts. Guy sounds worse than Hitler to me, folks. <laughs> I mean, oh man, it's it's amazing to watch these Democrats just make make complete fools of themselves on this. It really is. Um, they they are so utterly shameless. Um, they're they're compl- they're they're just. It's all kabuki theater. It's all meant to appeal to the base. I mean, they they have different 
uh, different emails going out from fundraising committees and, and you know, PACs and things. And, and senators are already on the while the hearing is going on. Senators are already on the record saying that they won't vote for Kavanaugh, but they're acting like, well, I won't vote for him now because, no, you said you wouldn't vote for him a month ago. But now we're supposed to believe that you care? Now we're, I mean, this thing about the documents is just completely, completely insane. Um, and uh, yet, yet here we are, folks. Here we are. Uh, you have, uh, uh, so just, just to, to dig into the document component of this for a minute, you have 400,000 pages that have been given. It's five times as much as were ever handed over for any other pre- any previous Supreme Court nominee. 400,000 pages. Some pages that have to do with Kavanaugh's time in the White House uh, have, he was deputy counsel, and then also uh, he was um, secretary. I forget what the... Uh, the specific uh, terminologies for the job. I'm blanking on it right now. But, you know, he, he was there and and there's some executive privilege that applies to some of the documents. So he, he they're not his to give. But they still act like, they still act like uh, this is some, well, Orwellian plot if you want to hear, uh, if you want to hear from Senator Leahy, for example. Um, you know, here, here's what he said. Play 13. We've received less than half of Chairman Grassley's partial records request, meaning we're moving forward even though we've received a fraction of the records. Even Republicans claim they needed to vet your nomination just a few weeks ago. And then we received an additional 42,000 pages from your record a few hours ago. The notion that anyone here has properly reviewed them or even seen them at all is laughable. It's laughable. It doesn't pass the giggle test. And any claim this has been a thorough, transparent process is downright Orwellian. This is the most incomplete, most partisan, least transparent vetting for any Supreme Court nominee I have ever seen. Today, the Senate is not simply phoning in our vetting obligation. We're discarding it. It's not only shameful... It's a sham. Thanks, Senator Leahy. That's really, that's really, whatever that was, that's really helpful. Uh, they, you know, they, they really, um, they make jackasses of themselves today. They did. They, they, I don't want to hear any more from liberals about how, you know, uh, institutions are being undermined. Because liberals made the Senate look like an absolute clown show today. Liberals made the Senate look ridiculous. And uh, their, their arguments are nonsensical. They are completely self-refuting. I mean, you, you give them five minutes to talk. And in a one minute, uh, one minute there's the problem is that you know, he's not going to support Roe v. Wade or something. And then the next minute it's the document review. And the next minute it's, well, well, you know, which is it? I mean, are, and are we really supposed to believe it's all these things? Or is it just they're having a tantrum? I mean, that, that's what today was. Today was a tantrum. It was a bad look, a bad look for the Senate. Um, and, oh, one of these, you know, Blumenthal said something about how no one can select a judge in his own case. And that's what the president is doing here. 
selecting, uh, potentially doing here, selecting a judge in the Supreme Court. Blumenthal, who it's just, ugh, he's so just, what's that fun word we use here on the show? Oleaginous. Ugh, Blumenthal, so oleaginous. Uh, he's established a standard, and I want to be very clear about this. He's established a standard where no president could ever pick any Supreme Court justice because of the theoretical premise that the president may at a future time be in legal jeopardy that goes up to the Supreme Court. Blumenthal's objection, if, uh, if, for example, there was already a case making its way up to the Supreme Court, might, might have some limited merit, but, but at least it, would, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the rantings of a crazy person. I mean, this is just bizarro. This is not, this is not something that anybody could look at and, and really get into uh, any analysis of. Because ultimately, this is just shameful. I mean, the Democrats' conduct, conduct today has been absolutely shameful. There is no excuse for it. It doesn't matter what you think about Trump. Uh, this is about a highly qualified nominee for a co-equal branch of, dumber, uh, of government. And Democrats, Democrats, <laughs> that was kind of funny, Democrats, they're acting like a bunch of screaming bratty children. They really are. And uh, they, they did not comport themselves well today at all. Uh, but maybe this is a good thing. I, th- I think it's a good thing for everybody to uh, have it be remembered that this is this is what we're up against. That's why we started the show with just what a what a complete LibCon one freakout this was. Uh, and and it also just goes to show you one Supreme Court one Supreme Court pick should not matter so much. It matters so much to the left because they have gone to the Supreme Court. They have used the Supreme Court as their own little super legislature to give them some of their some of their biggest victories, especially in the culture war. But let's be honest. I mean, this is for for decades now. I can give you uh, case after case where on a very contentious issue, the Democrats got what they wanted via the Supreme Court. The only really central and and contentious Supreme Court case that really went against the went against the left in recent memory is DC v Heller. It's the, the Supreme Court stretched itself into a pretzel to save Obamacare not once but twice. Uh, Supreme Court decided that uh, that that gay marriage was the law of the land. The Supreme Court uh, you know, just just obviously abortion which is which is bad law. Even if you think even if you think a woman should have the right to choose an abortion. Let's not just say right to choose. Right to choose an abortion. It's not the right to choose what paper towel what paper towel to buy. It's not the right to choose what her major in college is. The right to choose an abortion. Uh, and in fact, protect as a constitutional right access to an abortion. And, and the taxpayers should pay for abortions. And uh, you know, this, this is it's not just that somebody has the right to choose. What what the left has really enshrined now is the right to an abortion. Right, meaning that the right to, to the, if you choose this, uh, it is it is given to you via, in many cases, taxpayer taxpayer funded procedures. And people say, "Oh, Buck, that's not that's a lie, folks." Uh, funds are fungible. Okay, when you, when you give hundreds of millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood, you're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to an abortion provider. This is not this is not that hard. It's not that complicated. That's all a fig leaf. It's a lie. Uh, but, you know, they, they are so worried that they might lose these things. And the worst thing that can happen from the left's perspective on Roe v. Wade is, and I don't even think this is going to happen, which would be a shame because I would love to see, I mean, it, it should happen ethically, 
for the soul of the United States, Roe v. Wade should be overturned. Um, and, you know, it, it is the it is the greatest moral stain on this country since slavery. No question. No question. Um, but it would probably just revert back. I mean, it would just revert back to the states. Uh, and then you would still have abortion legal in a number of states. Which would be uh, unfortunate, but that's the way it would go. So it's not even like this would be outlawed everywhere. There's not going to be a federal law. Well... That's actually interesting. Maybe at some point there would try to, they would try to, well, that would really, could you imagine the fight over federal law to outlaw abortion? Uh, but see, the, we're having a real discussion about this here. The Democrats, they just want to, they just want to start a food fight and make a lot of noise and try to raise money and, and use this, just, just exploit this issue in whatever way they can and in as many ways as they can. That, that's really the way that they approach this, uh, this whole hearing situation. I, I do want to talk to you about Woodward's book, um, there's a lot of scuttlebutt around this coming up. There's even audio. It's not, not that exciting, but we got a little bit of it for you of the president talking to Woodward about the book. This is Bob Woodward of, uh, Watergate fame. And I, I haven't, I'm trying to get him booked. Look, everyone's gonna, you know, Woodward is a media darling and everybody's gonna, you know, want this guy on their shows and everything. We're trying to get him booked for both rising and for radio and I want to get an early copy of his book, which I have not been able to do quite yet. Uh, but there is some stuff in there that I, I just I just have a really hard time believing. I'm not saying nobody said it. I'm just I'm saying I don't think that it's true. But we'll talk about some of those explosive allegations in just a moment. I have an office. You have the, the office number. I have an office that's directly into my office. It doesn't matter. Let me tell you what matters. The economy is the best it's been in many, many decades, and it's going to get a lot better. And the country is doing very well. That's what's important. Yes, sir. I thought we're I doing a good never, job. Uh, uh, kind of say, let's uh, not talk about this because the book is done. Yeah, no. the president. You need to know. I made maximum effort. All right. It's too bad. Yes, sir. I'm just hearing about it, and I heard uh, I did hear from Lindsay, but I'm just hearing about it. So we're going to have a very inaccurate book, and that's too bad. No, but I don't blame you entirely. Be accurate. No, right. Okay. Well, accurate is that nobody's ever done a better job than I'm doing as president. That I can tell you. <laughs> so that's uh, and that's the way a lot of people feel that know what's going on, and you'll see that over the years. But a lot of people feel that, Bob. So. Oh, man, this president's a fighter. Uh, you gotta like it. You know, there, there he is. He's not, he's not taking any guff from anybody. Uh, he's got Bob Woodward, who's pr- among the probably 10 most revered big J journalists, you know, uh, big time journalists in, in the media, the political media industrial complex. You know, they, they love Bob because, look, he, he helped bring down Nixon, which is the all-time greatest thing that the uh, the media thinks it's ever accomplished. I mean, the the destruction of the Nixon administration um, was something that the that journalists that's that's the high water mark. That is what they yearn for, and Woodward was a part of that. So he's he has almost like a, a godlike status among a lot of D.C. journalists. I mean, they just think of him as as uh, the cat's the cat's meow. Does that even say that anymore? The cat's pajamas, Brandon? What is that all about? What's the cat's pajamas? The bee's knees? No, come on. We're not in grade school. It's crazy talk, Brandon. Uh, you know, the... Anyway, the, the Woodward book... But thank you for adding that in, Brandon. 
Uh, well, the Woodward book, it's not out yet. I haven't been able to read it. But here's some of the stuff that, that we're being told is in it. You know, let me just say before I get into this, I don't think it's going to change anyone's mind about anything. I don't think anyone's going to read this Woodward book and be like, oh, wow, you know, this is, I really don't like Trump anymore. This is really bad. I got to, you know, nah, that's not going to happen. It's just, it's just, it's just not going to happen. I don't, I don't think it changes the thing, but here's how it goes. All right. This is in the Washington Post. Quote, John Dowd was convinced that President Trump would commit perjury if he talked to special counsel Robert Mueller. So on January 27th, the president's then-personal attorney staged a practice session to try to make his point. In the White House residence, Dowd peppered Trump with questions about the Russia investigation, provoking stumbles, contradictions, and lies until the president eventually lost his cool. This thing's a goddamn hoax, Trump erupted at the start of a 30-minute rant that finished with him saying, I don't really want to testify. The dramatic and previously untold scene is recounted in Fear, a forthcoming book by Bob Woodward that paints a harrowing portrait of the Trump presidency based on in-depth interviews. Uh, you know, Woodward depicts Trump's anger and paranoia about the Russia inquiry as unrelenting and at times paralyzing the West Wing for entire days. End quote. Folks, but that's, that's not that strange. Why shouldn't the president, you know, let's, let's just take a step back. Why shouldn't the president be furious about the Russia collusion hoax? If I were him, I'd be furious. The whole thing is a joke. The whole thing is preposterous. It never should have happened. It never should have uh, been allowed to occur the way that it has. Do we do we really have to pretend otherwise? Is, is it really our obligation to act like this? This uh, that that the president shouldn't be upset when he's clearly being ambushed by a pro-Hillary media complex that's worked with some elements from within a cabal from the upper reaches of the DOJ and the FBI. To take down a president? I'd be I'd be ticked off, my friends. I really would. So I don't think that's really I don't think that's really that strange. There, there's some other stuff though, uh, where it gets it gets a little more harrowing. Here's Woodward quote describes an administrative coup d'etat and a nervous breakdown of the executive branch, with senior aides conspiring to pluck official papers from the president's desk so he couldn't see or sign them. Again and again, Woodward recounts at length how Trump's national security team was shaken by his lack of curiosity and knowledge about world affairs and his contempt for mainstream perspectives of military and intelligence leaders. Uh, at a national security meeting on January 19th, Trump, Trump disregarded the significance of the massive U.S. military presence in the Korean Peninsula, including a special intelligence operation that allows the United States to detect a North Korean missile launch in seven seconds versus 15 minutes from Alaska, according to Woodward. Trump questioned why government was spending resources in the region at all. We're doing this in order to prevent World War III, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis told him. Uh, you know, there, there's look, there's some uh, stuff in here that's that's little, uh, you know, little gives you a moment of like, okay, well, is that true? That's a, that's not great. Uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly frequently lost his temper, according to this. In one small meeting, Kelly said of Trump, he's an idiot. It's pointless to try to convince him of anything. He's gone off the rails. We're in crazy town. I don't even know why any of us are here. This is the worst job I've ever had. I just don't believe that Kelly said that. I don't believe it. Kelly's already denied it. So I'm not saying that Woodward is fabricating sources, but I am saying that maybe some of his sources were fabricating their accounts and, their, and, and the events. But I got to read the book. And I will. And let's talk about socialism coming up.
I talk about Simply Safe Home Security a lot on the show. It's because it's a great system. It's a system that I have here in my home. It's fantastic protection, very easy to use. And I got to tell you, Simply Safe is clearly incredible at what it does because it's now valued at a billion dollars as a business. You know, the founder started the company because he wanted to help his friends who were burglarized. And now Simply Safe doesn't just protect his friend, it protects over 2 million people. Simply Safe gives you comprehensive protection for your home, round the clock professional monitoring, and police dispatch. You get protection against intruders, fires, leaks, and burst pipes. It keeps working during power outages, down Wi-Fi, even if a burglar smashes your keypad. It's so easy to use. I installed it myself here at home. You'll see for yourself. Try it out. Order your Simply Safe system now. My listeners get free shipping and free returns. Visit simplysafe.com/buck. That's simplysafe.com/buck to protect your home with Simply Safe today. Again, simplysafe.com/buck. About time we start talking to each other like we're civilized. Deal with one another with respect. That's blue collar Joe on what's at stake in the midterms. He said everything we're to fight for the soul of America. I think it's a bit of overstatement, but if we're gonna really take it there, okay, well let, let's look at what is at stake in these midterms, my friends. Uh let, let's talk a bit about what we're dealing with here. On the one hand, you have a, a rallying around, for example, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, an open socialist who is willing to use the power of the state to take away your property, is willing to use the power of the state to determine much more about your life and to condemn a lot of people to, if not misery, then a state-enforced mediocrity. And they get all excited about her, so this is one. this is what she said about rallying kids, these are young kids, we understand, to fight Trump. Play four. I run for lieutenant governor for the, for the whole state, and I am the Congress, I'm going to be, uh, well, I'm the Democratic nominee for Congress out here, so I'm going to go to D.C. We're going to be fighting Trump. Yeah! 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 <laughs> okay, so here, That's crazy. But we need your and the kids get so excited. Yeah. To fight Trump. And she's she's propagandizing, folks. She's propagandizing to a bunch. Okay, we can cut it. Uh, propagandizing to a bunch of small children about how she needs their help to fight Trump. Well, I don't think they could vote because they're about ten. But you will note that uh, the Democrats are increasingly open about how they would like, if if they could, uh, they would like to have a voting age of, I think, 16, I'm seeing sometimes these days. You know, they, they want to get the, the younger and less, the, the more voters with limited life experience and knowledge of how the world works, the better for Democrats. That is true. I mean, I'll, I'll give them credit for at least understanding who their base is, which is generally the, the low information voter. Um, and, and then you have... Uh, so you have Ocasio-Cortez. We're talking about what's at stake in the midterms here. Then you've got Andrew Gillum down in Florida, who I saw today in a poll is up, I think, three points uh, on on his opponent. Um, so DeSantis. And Andrew Gillum was pushed a little bit because he's somebody who talks about, as does Ocasio-Cortez, about 
single payer, or they're, they're, they call it Medicare for all usually because that sounds good. That's kind of the poll tested version of it. But here's what happens when you ask Andrew Gillum, the would the mayor of uh, Tallahassee, would be governor of Florida if he has his way. Uh, here's what happens when you ask about how he's going to pay for his $33 trillion health care plan. Play it. Medicare for all, that plan would cost the government $33 trillion with the T dollars over the next decade, which obviously would require a significant tax increase. Are you ready to tell the people of Florida that they need to pay a lot more in taxes to fund your health care plan? Well, let me first say there was also a report, Dana, that showed that uh, should we move to cover more people through a Medicare for all system, we could actually save the system trillions uh, over an extended period of time. You could, but in the uh, but short I will term, tell you in this, order to do I, that, you need to raise taxes. Fair? So what I, what I would say is, first of all, and I want to be clear about this, the state of Florida could not take this road by itself. Taxes would have to be raised. Is that, is that yeah. fair? Do you agree with that? I, 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 I don't buy that. And how do you find that kind of money for the government without raising taxes? So first I'd say, one, Florida could not do it by itself. But secondly, we have the opportunity to expand uh, Medicaid for over 700,000 of the most medically needy people here in the state of Florida. My governor and legislature refused to do that. Do you know it costs us about $6 billion in money that should have come from the federal government to the state of Florida that we never received? I remember growing up as a kid having to wait for the mobile uh, dental clinic to come through the neighborhood in order to have my teeth cleaned. Yeah, I know, uh, the I biggest know you concern have experiences as a government official, you have to make it work and you have to make the Absolutely. numbers work. So I, I still don't understand how you would do it without raising taxes. So the first step we would take is expand Medicaid and pull down about $6 billion a year from the federal government. Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump have worked uh, so overtime let me just, to let me just uh, make get it access this to health care less affordable. Will you, yeah. will you say that you will not support raising taxes to make your health care plan work? We will increase taxes. Well, well, what took you so long to get there, my friend? I, I know that was kind of a brutal clip. It was really long, folks, right? So, hey, look, Dana Bash asking a real question, but it's not even really a question. Of course he has to raise taxes. He has to raise taxes like you've never seen to even think about doing this. By the way, this whole thing about how Florida can't be. No, that's not true. California's thinking about doing this. New York's thinking about doing this. At least they say they are. They can't make the math work. But, you know, this is where I, this is where Democrats have a, have a huge problem. They, they talk about single payer. By the way, Medicare for all is a misnomer. The Bernie Sanders plan, which is generally used as the template for what the left in this country wants, isn't Medicare for all because they say that they want to get rid of copays, deductibles. Medicare has those. And by the way, there are limits on Medicare as well, meaning, you know, not everything is covered by Medicare just because you are over 65. That's why people have uh, supplemental insurance that they buy, but they also have copays. And there's, you know, there, there are contributions that are made by people who are covered by Medicare. So, so it's just not true to say that what they want is Medicare for all. They want something that's even more expensive than Medicare. They want Medicare on steroids. They want even more money. Uh, and, and by the way, that also doesn't take into account if, if you do have a, a true single payer system, states and localities spend a lot of money on on health care. That would all come out of uh, that would all come come out as well. It would just be the federal government and th that you would have savings from this. I mean, that's just laughable. You're, you're going to save you're going to cover you're going to have Uncle Sam writing checks for everybody's health care and you're going to save the taxpayer money.
I mean, he can't, he can't be serious, right? I mean, this is ridiculous. By the way, even if we, even if we take at face value that there will be some administrative or bureaucratic savings because of the centralization of healthcare, which is exactly what we are talking about here, centralized in the state's hands, don't forget it, even if that's all true, and that's what ends up happening, there is no way that there would not be a massive, and I mean massive, shortage in healthcare that would result from this. You know, there just was an article of the week that came out about how long you wait in Sweden for, uh, for cancer treatment, for example, and, and how long you'll wait to see a specialist. And there are people who have waited, a, you know, a year for a surgery. Now, the way that they, they gauge these things, for example, with, uh, with cancer treatment is they'll, they'll do it by, by the outcome of the treatment. But uh, I'm assuming that if you have cancer, depending on the kind of cancer it is, and you have to wait a year, that's a pretty anxiety-filled, even if you can afford to wait, meaning that the cancer is not so aggressive that you're going to die, uh, that's, that's putting a lot on people. If you had any type of cancer, let me ask you, would, would you would you feel comfortable waiting a year to have it, or waiting even three or six months to have it addressed? Huh. You mean that there's a pain that people have to suffer through in the waiting process as well? Well, isn't that uh, something that you don't often hear about? I mean, th- there is rationing in the Swedish healthcare system. And oh, by the way, in... Many of these European systems that the progressive left points to as the model for what we should have in ours, people like Gillum, there's, there's a, increasingly people turning to private insurance. In Canada, a lot of people buy private insurance in addition to what the state gives them because they want better health care, because their health care sucks. And oh, by the way, the point about raising taxes, I mean, you're going to have to raise taxes on, and this is where the Bernie Sanders math just it doesn't add up. You're talking about an expenditure for Medicare for all of a little over $3 trillion a year. Keep in mind that right now, the, the all federal spending right now, all of it, military, Medicare, Medicaid, everything, right? All the government agencies, all the king's horses and all the king's men comes in around $3.8, $3.9 trillion. So you're going to add $3 trillion onto that of government spending. And, and you think that that's not going to crowd out the uh, crowd out some of the private economy. That's not going to create massive market distortions and 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 enormous shortages in the healthcare market. I mean that that is just folks. It's just delusional. They are being delusional. It's unserious. Uh, but Gillum is he's doing well because people want to believe in Santa Claus. They want to believe in free stuff. They want to think there's a free lunch. And they've been told now increasingly that healthcare is a right. And if you have a right to something, well then. Clearly, the government has an obligation to provide that for you. You, know, you, you have a, a, an inalienable right to, to health care, they are telling folks now. And it's, it's, it's not true, but nonetheless, that's what they have convinced people on. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where this is all heading. It's troubling, I know. Uh, but the, the socialist impulse in this country is getting... Uh, not just louder, it's getting more and more in the in the open and and people are embracing it. Single payer is popular with a lot of folks now. Um, and and you know I've said it before, the fact that the average American household right now, I mean this is a big issue for the midterm folks. The fact that the average American household is paying a lot more 
for much worse health care under Obamacare and that Republicans are not pounding that from a messaging standpoint every day is it's it's just malpractice. It is it is abominable politics from the Republicans. I mean, they should be talking about how what's really happened is that all Obamacare did was within those pools of people that fall in the Obamacare exchanges is that it takes money. It takes money from the relatively young and healthy and gives it to the sick. And there's a, a shifting that means that if you're young and healthy, uh, you are paying more and your care is crappier. You have incredibly restricted doctor and hospital networks. Uh, and really what you're doing is subsidizing other sick people in the Obamacare market. That's what you are doing. Why? And this is for people who are making $40,000 a year, folks. If you make uh, 47 or 48, I think, you don't qualify for any Obamacare subsidy at all. So let's say you're making 50 grand. Let's say 50 grand. Forget 40 grand. You're making 50 grand trying to raise a family of two. You know, you're a husband or a wife, whoever the bread, bread earner is. And you're being told that your health care is now probably about 50% more expensive on a premium basis. And it's about 50% crappier. And this is for millions of people. This is our future if the Democrats are in charge of our health care. Make no mistake about it. This is what is waiting down the line for us. And I just wish that Republicans could get their act together and, uh, and make, make the case. I, I just wish there was a more of a sense of urgency. You know, all the Trump stuff sucks the oxygen out of the room. I don't mean that it, Trump himself. I mean that all the stuff around him, the, oh my gosh, the Russia collusion, all this stuff. There's such a focus on that. And I'm, I'm worried about Republicans in this midterm election. I'm, I'm worried that, you know, we're, we're going to have a very unhappy November 7th and things are only going to go downhill from there, my friends. Impeachment is going to happen if they take the House. It's an honor and a privilege to bring you my thoughts on things that matter to us as Americans every day. Well, you know, your opinion team matters too. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a new social media site, snippy.com. If you're frustrated with the discourse on your social media pages and looking for an alternative take on conventional conversation, Snippy is it. Its founders have created a forum where people can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything really. On snippy.com, you can write about what's on your mind, upload photos, and strike up a conversation about anything. You can search the site by topic category, see what's trending, check out the news feed, and follow your favorite writers. Most importantly, you can enjoy freedom of expression without suppression from administrators. This is a place where discussion is valued, a place where your opinion matters. Snippy.com is free to join and open to all, so why not jump in and let your opinions be heard? No censorship, no agenda ever. Check out Snippy.com today or download the app, again, Snippy.com. It's interesting to see the panoply of civil rights leaders. Of course, right there at the church, we see Reverend Al, we see the Reverend Jesse Jackson, who has been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, but is was so close to Aretha Franklin and is part of that legacy. Bill Clinton, of course, there, and he's going to give one of the eulogies. And also the Reverend Farrakhan, a very controversial leader from the Nation of, uh, of Islam, who is also there so it's an inclusive group an inclusive group she says after after mentioning uh lewis farrakhan by name an inclusive group huh controversial she says why do why do we let the media get away with saying farrakhan is controversial when he is a vile anti-semite <laughs> 
And you know, I don't, I don't like to call people racist or anti-Semitic or any of that unless it is, it is well beyond the any kind of a question mark, right? Farrakhan is is a, is a is a true anti-Semite, and yet it's interesting that the Democrats there's still, um, you know, that they, they used to genuflect to him a little bit, uh, and and they still have to kiss the ring when it comes to Al Sharpton. If you're going to be a Democrat nominee for president, you know, you got to have Sharpton in your corner. And Sharpton was also there. And who, who's another com- complete and utter fraud? Uh, you know, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, you go back and you, you learn about the Tawana Brawley case. If you haven't ever read about it or, or aren't familiar with it, uh, I, I think it's, it's well worth the time to go back and, and revisit uh, a man committed suicide because of the patently false allegations made by Tuana Brawley uh, that were uh, broadcast and, and supported all over the place by Al Sharpton, who was just exploiting it for his own his own purposes. And, you know, he's still... Tre- he Look, he's got his own show on MSNBC. And then you've got Farrakhan, who's there, who, you know, you, you still have... And by the way, folks, you know, I, I'm not going to let this go. The media, and I'm going to talk later about uh, Chuck Todd, who's written an editorial about how they're being mean to the media. You know that that uh, it's just it's amazing. We'll, we'll 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 dive into that a little bit. But that you had a member of the press willing to suppress a photo of Obama warmly embracing Sharpton. When he was uh, sorry, warmly embracing Farrakhan when he was running for president that a reporter wouldn't want to run with that story because he, or I guess it was a photographer for a news outlet, uh, didn't want it to be a problem for Obama. That just tell, it tells you so much, doesn't it? I mean, this is the way they play the game. This is the way the other side uh, does things. And with, with Farrakhan, you know, it, it's so interesting. You don't have in every presidential cycle, every news network saying about every, to each Democrat nominee... Do you support Louis Farrakhan's rhetoric? What do you think of this thing that Farrakhan said? They do that, though, to Republicans who, do, who have never met or appeared with or talked to David Duke. But he'll be asked, you know, do, do you? And this is not new with, Trump, with the Trump era, by the way. They've been doing this for, for decades now. You know, do, do you support David Duke? You know, what about David Duke? He, David Duke has endorsed you. They'll make Republicans answer that charge. Why don't they? Why isn't every single Democrat who runs for runs for the presidency asked repeatedly on every major news network? What do you think about Louis Farrakhan? Do you support this terrible anti-Semitic statement? He said, do you support that one? Oh, they won't do that, huh? Yeah, that's such a shock. But they want to tell us their objective, folks. They want to tell us that they. They have no bias, they have no motivation other than just just getting to the just getting to the truth what a pile of what a pile of nonsense you know and you know another another funeral where there was you know you had two very high profile funerals mccain and farrakhan i mean pardon me mccain and uh, aretha franklin and uh, the opportunities were taken by both uh on on at both those occasions to attack Trump. I mean, there really is this this anti-Trump obsession. Can't, can't there just be things that don't involve Trump? You know, can, can't we have public gatherings to celebrate high-profile individuals where, where it doesn't turn into a Trump bash session? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? I guess I'm, I'm asking for I'm asking for too much, maybe. I, I don't know. 
Uh, it's a crazy world we live in, I suppose. What qualifies as unprecedented in the era of Trump? You'll often hear this from people who are incredibly critical of the president. They will say that what he has done is unprecedented in the history of this country. Or they'll, they'll suggest that, for example, the president saying anything about his Department of Justice or the Attorney General, that, that, that there is no analogous situation in, in modern American history and, and that this is just well beyond the pale. Well, the problem with unprecedented is that once you said it, you've made a statement, which is that this has not happened. Something similar has not happened before. There is no precedent for this. And then when you find out there is a precedent, you tend to get upset. For example, today on Rising, my show, a TV show in the morning, we had on David Frum, who's an erudite fellow. And he is a never, never, well, I'm sorry, actually, to be fair, he doesn't call himself a never Trumper, but he's, he's one of these people who says he's conservative, but deeply, deeply critical of the president of the United States, uh, thinks that he is a, a threat to the country and is terrible. And he started talking about the, the outrage of President Trump speaking about the workings of the Department of Justice and then compared it. So this is the context of the conversation. He's talking about that. And then he compares it to Obama and he says, oh, Look at, look at Obama. He even made such a small error about this and everybody freaked out because Obama was so great. And then I had a little response for him. Please play it. ...on Twitter, it would be the biggest scandal in the history of the American government. I mean, just to, to put it in contrast, in 2013, um, there was a sexual harassment case in the Navy. President Obama at a press conference said in the most general terms that uh, he thought sexual abuse should not be tolerated and that, that for those people who do it, there should be consequences. Didn't comment on the individuals. That statement set off a firestorm. And President Trump, sorry, President Obama was rebuked by the judge in the case for saying, in general terms, sexual assault should not be tolerated during the period before the guilty man they were convicted were sentenced. For the President of the United States to say on his official statement that he wants the Department of Justice not to prosecute people who are in his party? That's amazing. But President the, Obama said there was nothing to the email investigation that Hillary Clinton was under for violating classified protocols, which I had a TS clearance. I can tell you, anybody else would have gone to prison. What's that got to do with anything? Well, that was a precedent set by a previous president of the United States. Sorry, sorry, Speaking what, about an ongoing, he said there was nothing to Hillary Clinton's emails. That was an open federal investigation. You're telling me that what, no, Trump, what Trump is saying or what he said about his he, attorney general, I mean, you were just he, talking he, about... He was not calling for... Okay, I mean, can we just... Notice the response, folks. This is a, like the senior editor of The Atlantic. Notice the response. What's that got to do with anything? Are, are, you, are you serious? You're, he, he just outlined for you, you know, when Obama was president, he said something about how sexual assault was bad, but because there was a DOJ investigation open at the time, he was hammered. First of all, Obama was never hammered in the press for anything, but, you know, they were, he was caught holy hell for that. This is a complete canard. This is complete BS. You gotta be kidding me. What? And then when I say to him, okay, how about this case where the Democrats' presidential nominee is under a completely legitimate, and nobody can say otherwise, federal criminal investigation, and the president of the United States at the time, Obama, who's the head of the Department of Justice, whose Attorney General Loretta Lynch is absolutely a warrior for the social justice cause and has Obama's back, and before her... Eric Holder was Obama's wingman by his own statement, by his own admission. And, and Obama says there's nothing to the email investigation. 
which if you want to talk about meddling or obstructing or whatever, why is that ever the conversation? That's the standard of the previous president. And and this guy from is saying, oh, Trump, it's unprecedented from the standing of the DOJ. And I say, well, it's actually not. And notice his response. What does that have to do with anything? I mean, you're, come on. David is a, he's, he's a smart guy, but, you know, he got, he got caught up. It's a weak argument. So what does that have to do? I mean, what do you mean what does that have to do with that? It could be, it's clear as day. Obama was publicly trying to steer the course of a federal criminal investigation of the Democratic nominee for president, and now I'm supposed to sit here and be lectured about how, well, Obama would never do such a thing. He got in trouble when there was even a, a, an opposition to sexual harassment statement that he made. Folks, but see, this is what I mean. The, the never-Trumpers, it's, it's, a, it's a disorder. It has turned into a way of being. It's like I'm challenging their religion when I, and I, I didn't do it in an aggressive way. I just want to know, you know, wh- why he, he, his suggestion, and I played the audio for you so you could hear, was Obama was so unwilling to interfere in the DOJ and was held to such a higher standard when it came to the DOJ that even in this, this situation that I'll be honest with you, I have no recollection of, but David Frum seems to rec- r- recall it, uh, that, you know, th- that he was taken to task for that. And I'm like, that's not it. That's not the Obama standard. The Obama standard was, if I had a son, he'd look like Trey. You know, he would have looked like Trayvon. That was an open criminal case, folks. That they thought about going federal on, by the way, for a civil rights violation. Oh yes. Uh, you know, never mind the Cambridge police acted stupidly. That wasn't a major issue in terms of the uh, criminal justice system, but it certainly was not not helpful to what could have been a civil suit, to be sure. I think it actually did. I'm not sure if producer Mike, let me know if uh, the professor Gates at Harvard actually sued those cops. I, I can't remember. Um, but, but a huge instance of interference in DOJ from the president of the United States in, you know, in the own, in his own justice department's thinking, there's nothing to the Hillary. How can the president of the United States, who's the top of the DOJ chain of command say, there's nothing to this investigation and not expect that to affect the investigation. Folks explain, riddle me that. What are you talking about? This is what I. This is what I. This is why even the smart never Trumpers, you know, the ones who are who are educated and 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 you know eloquent and this is this is a religious belief for them now. The evil of Trumpism has gone way beyond just an argument about the man who is the president of the United States right now. It's it's entered into some other territory in their mind. I mean, could, could you? I, I played that exchange. I was so taken aback today by the fact that he was taken aback. I mean, you, you've never thought about this? You're trying to tell us that it was it was a standard set by Obama that you would never speak out about anything going on with the DOJ when in the single most consequential DOJ action for the future of American politics in 2016, Obama flatly and openly intervened. But oh no, it's, un, it's unprecedented. It's unprecedented. The abuse of that word, unless that word actually has come to mean something that Trump has done that nobody else has done, except for some people before him who I liked, so it's okay, then unprecedented has no meaning anymore. Uh, you know, they, they should be much more careful before throwing that around. But this is the, the problem with hyperbole and hysteria in anti Yeah, Mike says there was no Gates lawsuit, so there wasn't. That, that didn't happen. It just was, it was obviously a concern at the time. Just a fact check on that one. Um, but yeah, I... 
Oh, that was that was quite the exchange. We we had a much more interesting talk, I would note, on on immigration, where David Frum has some very interesting thoughts. He actually wrote a piece in the Atlantic on immigration a while ago. So Frum is a, he's a smart guy. I, I'm not putting him or his work down, or I'm, I'm not trying to be dismissive. I just thought though that here's somebody who I actually will read and will spend some time on his work occasionally, uh, and and I was shocked that he was shocked. But I shouldn't be, because this is what never-Trumpism does to people. It, it takes them out of the realm of objectivity. But on immigration, he's very good. And uh, I don't have that soundbite for you, but he did. Um, I, and actually, the most interesting conversation was the one I had with him after the show, when he was walking off set. I said, you know, I need somebody to explain to me why it is, where I go wrong here. If immigration, including illegal immigration, is only a net positive for the country, if there is, as Democrats hold, no downside to it, which that is their position, they will not admit to any downside. Think about it. Well, what's the downside? Better for the economy. They commit less crimes than us. They're, be- they're basically better than us. That's what Democrats tell people. If that is the case, we are crazy for not bringing in 10 million immigrants a year, which if we open the floodgate, we clearly could do. So why not do that? Say, oh, no, Buck, that's okay. And then I say, fine, you know, what about two million? We take in a million, let's double it. Oh, no, Buck, that seems like a lot. A lot of awesomeness, a lot of wealth, a lot of prosperity. Where where are we going wrong here, folks, right? Oh, oh, no, there are trade-offs. There are parts of the whole assimilation process that require uh, there to be a balance in the numbers. You you cannot, you, you can overwhelm our ability to assimilate people. If you do it with too many people too quickly, the, the, this is the reality of our immigration system. But Democrats and, and he, he conceded that point. He said, you're right. The Democrats are dishonest about how they discuss immigration. and They pretend that there's no downside. And if that were true, they should be open. They should be advocating for open, effectively open borders. Eight, four, four. Wait, eight, 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 nine hundred. I just gave the wrong number. That was an old number. I think that was Glenn Beck's number. Eight, 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 nine hundred. 2825-888-900 buck if you want to chat uh i'll be back with you in just a moment team stay with me he respected the dignity inherent in every life a dignity that does not stop at borders and cannot be erased by dictators perhaps above all john detested the abuse of power could not abide bigots and swaggering despots so much of our politics our public life our public discourse can seem small and mean and petty, trafficking and bombast and insult and phony controversies and manufactured outrage. It's a politics that pretends to be brave and tough, but in fact is born of fear. John called on us to be bigger than that. He called on us to be better than that. So there were... Plenty of things in the McCain funeral over the weekend. Plenty of moments where I think a lot of folks said, oh, okay, so this is going. This is an explicitly uh, political situation now. I mean, th- there was a decision that was, was made to, uh, pol- to politicize at least some aspects of, of a man's uh, funeral, which he is well within his rights to do. Uh, it, it was planned that way by McCain, from what I'm, from what I'm told. Um, and uh, here is I mean, the the previous the previous uh, occupant of this time slot and 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 uh, a friend Megan McCain here here is what she had to say play clip one 
The America of John McCain is generous and welcoming and bold. She is resourceful and confident and secure. She meets her responsibilities. She speaks quietly because she is strong. America does not boast because she has no need to. The America of John McCain has no need to be made great again because America was always great. Now, I, I, I feel like we're, we're put in a difficult position here, folks, because there's a tremendous amount of media coverage of this event over the weekend. And there are explicitly political and partisan arguments being made at a funeral. And it feels like a, an extension of the Democrat creed of the victim, the victim slash attack uh, paradigm where they will put somebody forward, somebody who has suffered a lot, well, in this case, a funeral, but in other cases, you know, they'll, they'll use the 9-11 widows for political purposes, or they'll put forward the Parkland kids. And if you oppose them on a policy level, you're heartless and you're mean. And, and I, it makes me very uncomfortable. I, I do not think it's, uh, it's a good place for us to go when the expectation is that there will be, not just, this wasn't a private affair, folks. This was a media event. There was a tremendous amount of coverage of this over the weekend, when political arguments are going to be made and nationally televised, and it's being done with the idea that anybody who, uh, and this is much more so a commentary on the way that the media was portraying this and, and the way that the, the coverage was really clearly using this as a, as a club against Trump. But I don't like it when political arguments are being made and anyone who responds is going to be attacked for some other reason. In this case, you're being... Uh, you know, you're being un, unfeeling and, and unkind toward the family that is suffering this, you know, suffering through this grievous loss or, you know, that th this is a funeral. How, how dare you question anything that was said? Well, there were things said about the current commander in chief that affect the rest of the country. I mean, there, there or I should say there were things said that were clearly attacks on him. And look, I, I wouldn't, it, it would not be my choice, but it wasn't my choice. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be respectful of the circumstances in the situation while also not being being bullied into bending the knee on a political issue. Right. There's one, it's one thing to be respectful and to show proper decorum. It's a funeral. It's a man who served his country. But it's another thing to sit here and say, well, you know, I, I can't disagree with anything said there because John McCain. And there's a lot of that going on. It's uh, it's a bit it's a bit underhanded, folks, with some of the some of the way that the media was using McCain's funeral to attack the president. And in case it wasn't explicit enough, we got, we got Steve Schmidt over at MSNBC. Yeah, you know, Steve Schmidt, he's like a really good political analyst. He's just, you know, he's got to say things on TV. Steve Schmidt, play three. The heroism, kindness, love, decency, all of it are necessary uh, in, a, in a country like ours for it to succeed. And all of those virtues are in regression and are under attack in this moment in time. And so what we saw today from two former presidents, a Republican and a Democrat who were fierce rivals of each other, was a rebuke to this vile and low moment in the history of this country. And make no mistake about it, um, the rebukes were intentional. They were purposeful. And they were designed by John McCain himself. So you had one of one of McCain's 
closest advisors, at least the one who ran his presidential campaign in 2008, saying that this, this was intentional. This was, this was the political weaponization of a funeral, folks. Uh, I'm not saying that that's inherently wrong. I'm just saying that it makes me uncomfortable that we are now at a place where to attack Trump, there will be people will engage in uh, in in political attacks with the invulnerability of how dare you question me? I'm grieving, or how dare you question me? This is a this is at a funeral, or this is you know, this is not the way. That's not how you make political arguments. And this notion of, of the restoration of decency, a lot of these reporters were saying terrible things about John McCain in 2008. A lot of these reporters that are talking about how great John McCain is now uh, were okay with reporters saying that uh, Sarah Palin didn't actually have her child with Down syndrome, that it was actually her daughter's and it was all a big, you know, bringing bring her, her Down syndrome child into the political fray. They were okay with that, folks. But those same reporters are now the ones going to lecture us on decency and, and decorum at a funeral. I, I don't think so. Hiring can be tough, folks. There's no question about it. And you need to get the best people the fastest you can, and you need to get them through your whole process. ZipRecruiter is your answer, okay? Go to ZipRecruiter.com buck. You can create an employer account now for free, totally free. Again, ZipRecruiter.com buck. Why should you do this? Well, first of all, I did it to bring in colleagues that work with me now every day. We had tremendous success hiring for very specific positions for a company where we could have had any number of different ways to go in terms of how we bring in applicants, and we use ZipRecruiter. We had so much ease when it came to sifting through the applications that came in. There's a smart matching technology that ZipRecruiter uses so that it really brings you the best applicants. It does it so quickly, so easily. Again, try it for free. If you're an employer, set up your account totally free. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. One of the most important life lessons that any of us can have, especially early in life, and so it's important for children and uh, pass on for those of you with kids to future generations is the honor and dignity of work and also the need to show respect to those who are doing honest work. So let me take you to what happened over this Labor Day weekend. Interesting that it occurred on, on Labor Day of all holidays. Jeffrey Owens uh, he was an actor on The Cosby Show, a show that I have to tell you I've not really ever seen much of, but is, of course, one of the most famous TV sitcoms of all time. And Jeffrey Owens, so he, he was on this phenomenon TV show, The Cosby Show, and that was decades ago. Well, the Daily Mail, a British tabloid publication, found him bagging groceries, uh, working as, as a clerk or whatever the specific position is called, at Trader Joe's, which is a grocery chain I've shopped in many, many, many times myself. It's a, it's a good place. You get some really high quality stuff and, and at a fair price. And this was considered, and it was, I would agree with it. It, it was job shaming. Uh, also, the, the photo they picked of him, it was a, he was at work doing his job and someone just took his photo and it, it, all, it all felt very unseemly. And uh, sure enough, because this is America, and not only do we 
love a, a we we love an underdog. We also love a comeback story. Uh, Jeffrey went from being shamed uh, in a major news publication to getting a sit-down interview on a Good Morning America in front of millions of people to talk about his ordeal. Here's here's some of that. And I also want I do want to say this. I, I, you know that this business of my being this Cosby guy who got shamed for working at Trader Joe's, that's going to pass. You know, that, that's going to, you know, in some measure of time, that's going to pass away. But I hope what doesn't pass is this idea that people are now thinking, this rethinking about what it means to work. You know, the, the honor of the working person and the dignity of work. And I hope that this period that we're in now where we have a heightened sensitivity about that and a reevaluation of, of what it means to work and that uh, a reevaluation of the idea that some jobs are better than others because that's actually not true there is no job that's better than another job it might pay better it might have better benefits it might look better on a resume and on paper but actually it's not better Every job is worthwhile and, and valuable, and if, if we have a, a, you know, a kind of a rethinking about that because of what's happened to me, mm -hmm. um, uh, that would be great. But no one should feel sorry for me, either from a, a positive or a negative perspective. I've had a great life. I've had a great career, and um, I've, I've had a career that most actors would really, you know, would die for. I really agree with his message. I, I think he gets it, and it's just so nice to see. Uh, it's... Look, it's, dare I say it, it, it's heartwarming when you see a guy who, by the way, you know, it, it's not like he was found, and I think this is important, this isn't a, isn't a, a, a down-on-your-luck story in that they didn't find him uh, sleeping in a cardboard box with, you know, a, a, a bottle of, of empty bourbon on his chest and, you know, kind of muttering to himself over a subway grate somewhere. They found him doing a job. He's making money. You know, I've actually spent a lot of time in Trader Joe's because I've, I've, I used to live right next to one. I used to shop at one frequently. And I can tell you the staff there is full of people that have a you know, great attitude. They seem like they're, they like, a, they like what they're doing in that they're a part of, of a good organization that treats its employees well. And there's a, a positive vibe in the place. And you know, for a lot of folks, I used to shop at Trader Joe's. I, I had very little money. I got to tell you, I was so happy to have access to good food that I could afford, courtesy of Trader Joe's. So, you know, it's providing a public, it's it's providing a marketplace that the public wants. And I just think it's important for all of us to to remember that his line about how you know any job that's an honest job, right? We're not talking about you know people who are selling heroin on the street corner, but, you know, any any honest legal job is deserving of, of respect. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that we should all agree to uh, encourage and all think that, that, you know, anyone who shows up and does something that they have agreed to and have taken on that responsibility to be paid, you know, they've been a productive member of society. And, and this should be, this really should be... Uh, a moment when everybody spends a little more time just reflecting on that. And I think, you know, I remember when I was a, uh, just gotten out of college, I, I might have told this story on the air before, and I had so many friends who were running off to do, the big thing was to do investment banking from my class or to do management consulting. That's what everybody was angling for. 
And if you got an investment banking job, everybody was so jealous. Meanwhile, everybody pretty much from my class, except for one or two people that went into investment banking, they all they all bailed out within a few years. They thought it was miserable. It wasn't worth the money and they hated it. Uh, but I remember I came out of school and I was trying to get into the CIA. That was my first, it was the first job I applied for and it was the job I really, really wanted, but I hadn't gotten it yet. And I was waiting, waiting to hear back, waiting to hear back. And out of nowhere, I got this, I got this opportunity. I was going to be an intern at the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, which they even they have people in graduate school that intern there. So I was actually on the younger end for the interns. And then I was offered a coaching job at my at my old high school for the JV soccer team. And I immediately thought, well, that sounds really cool. I, I had played soccer for four years in high school. I had been a co-captain of the soccer team my senior year. And we were actually pretty good. Uh, and I just thought this would be kind of fun. And I remember I went out to a very well-known watering hole in New York City with all my fellow 22-year-olds or 23-year-olds at the time. And we'd all just started our jobs. This is right after graduation. I'm back in New York City. And I told some of them that I was going to be a, a JV soccer coach at my high school. I'll never forget that, that a few of them laughed and they mocked the idea. And I... I wasn't not going to take it. I wasn't going to get peer pressured into backing out or something. But I was really taken aback by that because I had always really admired and, and respected my, my coaches and, and my teachers in high school. And, and of course, the people who are laughing, they they were people who went into high, high paid jobs right out of school and only a couple of them lasted. Uh, but they clearly thought that this was that this job that I was taking on, which, by the way, I think I think they were going to pay me a few hundred dollars a week for it. I mean, it was the, the money was, was you know, pretty, pretty nominal. Uh, but they thought that this was their will. Why would you go get this fancy degree so you could be a JV soccer coach? I mean, they were really having it, you know, having a go at me over this. And I will say, you know, and to, to both of my parents' credit, when I mentioned to them maybe the next day, you know, wow, I really got a hard time from some of my old classmates uh, about how I was taking this JV soccer coach job and, you know, and, and going back to my old high school for, for, uh, for a semester at least. My parents both said, you don't listen to them. That's ridiculous. You could have a really profound impact on some great, you know, young men and have a great time doing it. And you really, I really bonded with my soccer coach in high school. I thought he was an awesome guy. And I still remember him very fondly to this day. And I remember those. I remember those games and and playing on that team. You know, it's one it's one of my fonder memories in a lot of ways, quite honestly. And my parents were said, "You you do that job. You be proud to do that job, and you don't let anybody anybody say anything about it." And they were right, man. I had so much fun. Yeah, I was making three hundred dollars a week, but you know what? I, I, I didn't need that much money. I mean, you know, it was it was it wasn't about the money. And it wasn't about being uh, some big shot. It was about coaching and, and being around the kids. And by the way, they were, some of them were 15 or 16. I was 22. We were actually not that far apart in age. So that was a pretty funny dynamic. But it was one of the most fun things I've ever done. But man, it is so important to understand that everyone who's showing up and doing a job, and especially people who do their job with, um, with a, a real pride, 
And you know what I'm talking about. I mean, there are, there are people who, whether they're a server in a restaurant or they work as a, as a handyman or a doorman in a building somewhere or they're, they're a janitor or, you know, wh- whatever it may be. But, you know, these, these non-glamorous jobs, there are people who do them with an eye to being the best at it they can be and being as positive as they can to all those around them while they're doing it. And those people are gems. They, they make our days better. Not only do they provide a service, but they provide a reminder to all of us that you know, honest work is, is dignified, is honorable. And uh, I, I think that this was you know, a, a rare moment in the news cycle when finally we could all focus on something that's just, just worth spending a little bit of time thinking about. And that's, that's so, you know, Jeffrey Owens, I got to thank him for that. And uh, finally, the, the media found something worthwhile to talk about for a moment. Look at that. I guess it is possible. We'll be right back. Hiring can be tough, folks. There's no question about it. And you need to get the best people the fastest you can, and you need to get them through your whole process. ZipRecruiter is your answer, okay? Go to ZipRecruiter.com buck. You can create an employer account now for free, totally free. Again, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Why should you do this? Well, first of all, I did it to bring in colleagues that work with me now every day. We had tremendous success hiring for very specific positions for a company where we could have had any number of different ways to go in terms of how we bring in an applicant, and we use ZipRecruiter. We had so much ease when it came to sifting through the applications that came in. There's a smart matching technology that ZipRecruiter uses so that it really brings you the best applicants. It does it so quickly, so easily. Again, try it for free. If you're an employer, set up your account totally free. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Perhaps it's no accident that some of the cameras can sound like incoming machine gun fire, but uh, for as much as the digital photography era has changed photography, you can still count on hearing the rapid fire uh, shutters. A machine gun fire. As much as I sit here and talk to you about the machine gun of the cameras, and <laughs> there I was, one hand tied behind my back, rappelling out of the Blackhawk. Bin Laden didn't know what hit him. That's right, man of action, Brian Williams thinks that uh, if you if you hear if you hear some cameras clacking, clack clack clack, it's like machine gun fire. He's he's the same one who. Uh, what, what was that bizarre producer Mike? What was the uh, Leonard Cohen quote that he said when they fired the missiles at Syria? It was like the beauty of the missiles fired from these guns or something. He had some weird thing that he said. And he's watching the missiles get fired. He quoted Leonard Cohen. I, some of you will remember what I'm talking about. But, but it's, it's look, the, the, the press thinks of themselves as tremendously brave. There's no, no question about that. They think of themselves as people who stand for what's right and have deep principles that they, will, uh, they won't back down, uh, back down from. And, and, and it's really all a myth. And one of the, one of the most self-aggrandizing, self-pitying, self-righteous things I've read in quite some time, which is saying a lot, was a recent Chuck Todd piece in The Atlantic where he says, it's time for the press to stop complaining and start fighting back. And it's all about how Fox News and Roger Ailes and conservative media 
have demonized the press. I mean, somebody needs to pull over the ambulance for Chuck Todd here. This is pathetic stuff. And what's amazing is how little sense of uh, self-awareness he displays the article. I mean, there's, look, it, it's all the stuff you would expect, folks, right? You know, oh, it's, it's all the, their press and undermining us in democracy, and it's all just garbage. We, we, don't, need, we don't need all these, well, hundreds and hundreds of news. I'm, I'm guided by the beauty of our weapons. That was, the, that was the Leonard Cohen line by Brian Williams. I'm guided by the beauty of our weapons. Uh, Brian Williams was guided by them when he was actually the first man on the beach at Normandy. Did you know that? Brian Williams. He's awesome. So, you know, but you look at this piece, this Chuck Todd piece, and he goes into how terrible Fox News is, but, but there's so much in here that's, that's laughable. He makes his case even worse. He writes, quote, I fully acknowledge reporters bring their own biases to their work. The questions they ask and the stories they pursue are shaped by things as simple as geography. I grew up in Miami. I follow Cuban politics more closely than many other Americans did. As a result, when I covered the White House, I was more likely than my colleagues to ask questions about Cuba. A New York-based reporter may approach reporting on guns or evangelical Christianity different than a reporter in Pensacola, Florida. End quote. <laughs> what an idiot. Yeah, yeah, it's geographical issues that are why reporters are biased. You nincompoop. No, it's because 90% plus of you are all a bunch of libs. A bunch of whiny, self-righteous, echo chamber-obsessed libs. And you know what really, really started to bother me in this piece as well is that you get uh, you get Chuck Todd who goes after he goes after Hannity he goes after Laura Ingram he goes after um, Tucker Carlson among others says that they've made themselves rich by scaring old white people into into watching them and I would just note first of all you can only do that you're only allowed to do that now with old white people old any other people oh you're you're, you're pandering to fill in the blank old people from that ethnic group. And you would be screamed at as a as a racist, and how could you? And even though, I mean, I, I just read a piece in in Vox dot com. What was it uh, this past weekend about the the essentially celebrating the the quote Browning of America, which Vox the beta males over at Vox think is tremendous progress. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't have a view on whether it's a good or a bad thing. I think it's interesting that Vox clearly does. Right, that Vox clearly is is encouraged, w- wants that to be, wants demographic change. Oh, I'd, I'd like someone to explain to me why they take that position. Uh, I just want great Americans. I just want people that want to live in this country, want freedom and free markets and the Constitution, and buy into this place. I don't care what color they are. Vox though, Vox though clearly cares about the color, which is interesting, isn't it? Uh, anyway. But but Chuck Todd, I mean, he's delusional here with this, and and he's he's saying that they're pandering, and and he also is is essentially insinuating that you know they've made he says they've made themselves rich by being dishonest in this way, and I just know you know Chuck Todd is lucky that he's not a you know a third tier reporter for the Pensacola Star Tribune or whatever the heck I have no idea what the Pensacola newspaper is called, but. You know, he's lucky that he's not that guy because he really could be because there's nothing special about Chuck Todd. He's terrible on Meet the Press. He's not particularly charismatic. 
yeah, I'm not trying to be mean, but you know, he's he's not about to be in a Ralph Lauren catalog anytime soon. Not that you know, I'm not either. Not that any of us. That's a, a but for some people, I mean, look at the guy on ABC News. Okay, yeah, the guy's basically like a male supermodel who happens to read a teleprompter, right? Whatever is a producer Mike. What's that guy's name? You know what I mean? The, the handsome guy. You know what I mean? What's that guy's name? I'm trying Mike's to think who. Uh, no, you know I mean? yeah, I'm, you know what I'm I mean. Stumped. I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember his name either. But you know, you know what I mean. Handsome guy, handsome guy on ABC News tonight. He's like, I'm here and I'm just so handsome. And is this like, a, a David Muir? Yes, yes, David the Muir, the guy with the uh, abnormally large cranium. Yeah, he's got a huge head, dude. It's anybody huge. in news who's really got game has a giant head, though, as I've pointed yep. out many times. So I mean, my head is ginormous. Anyway, so but Chuck Todd r- runs on about how they're they're pandering. They're the bad guys. Uh, they are doing all this bad stuff in media. And, and then he can't even admit that 90% of the media thinks the same way. Why is that? Folks, it's because of their intolerance for other ideas. It's not because that's what the market will allow. It's because they are a bunch of little crybabies who will get their colleagues, who won't hire anyone who's a conservative, and will get their colleagues fired if they find out they're conservative. That's what this really is. The media is run... Like in like an old school country club that just makes sure they keep their kind of people around. Isn't that isn't that interesting and ironic? Anyway, the Chuck Todd piece. Don't read it. It's a waste of your time. It's Trump is being so mean to us. Good. He's not. Chuck Todd is not a neutral broadcaster. That's a lie. Neither is Jake Tapper. Neither is Anderson Cooper. Let's stop with the nonsense and let's get real. Speaking of media cowardice. This is like a recurring segment on the show now. Some of you may have picked up that uh, over the weekend, The New Yorker has followed in the footsteps of The Atlantic for going on the wall of shame for ideas that are just too hot to handle, folks. Oh, no, can't can't listen to what that person has to say. Can't hear them out on an issue. That That's too dangerous. Dangerous for our democracy, they say. The New Yorker was actually having an ideas festival, whatever they really call it, uh, their annual New Yorker festival, right? It's where they bring together all these ideas and different you know, thought leaders and all this other, a lot of it's just self self-congratulatory BS, I'll be honest with you. But they had invited Steve Bannon. Now, Steve Bannon uh, is that, uh, Steve Bannon is, is, Somebody you all know. He didn't even explain who Steve Bannon is, right? I mean, he's an advisor, but just so we put this in the proper context, he's an advisor to the President of the United States as of a year ago, was important in his presidential run. And, you know, he's a guy who's got some very interesting ideas. I, I actually really want to interview Steve Bannon. So let, me, let me go on the record and say that right now. I, I, would like, uh, I would like to interview Bannon. I've never met him or, or talked to him which is very strange given the business that I'm in. It just hasn't happened. I don't know. Um, somehow there are other, other people, you know, Dinesh and Coulter and, you know, all, all the Fox News folks, uh, we're crossing paths on a regular basis. I, I never have crossed paths with Bannon in any way. I've never sat on a panel with him. Never, anyway, never interviewed him. But they invited Bannon and then they disinvited Bannon. And, you know, this is just, this is such cowardice from these publications. But it just goes to show you that, you know, I think they realize, folks, I think they know that this is cowardly. I think they know that they should be, realistically, they should be embarrassed by this. But they also know that their readership, in a magazine like The New Yorker, 
which people only subscribe to so they can say that they subscribe to The New Yorker to their friends so that they think they sound smart, right? The New Yorker is the magazine that people who want other people to think that they sound smart subscribe to. Uh, they, they don't want to lose their, their base, their subscribers. They, I, I think I almost want to cut them some slack because this is a business decision for them because they're a, a true liberal today is an absolute snowflake can't separate out their political beliefs from anything in life, can't handle being, oh my gosh, you're going to subject me to uncomfortable thoughts? That's so mean. Can't handle any of that. Is completely incapable of listening to the other side. In fact, thinks that the other side, even getting a chance to make their case, is a problem. This is where you get the whole deplatforming movement, and you see this on college campuses. You see this with the... A whole speech equals violence paradigm that the left pushes, right? Speech equals violence. That's what they will say. And you say, well, if speech equals violence, then can you respond to speech you don't like with violence? Because you've already made that crossover. Oh, oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Um, that is, that is in fact, what they're saying in many cases. Certainly you see that with Antifa and with others. But uh, this needs to be named and shamed, folks. That a that a cultural edifice like the New Yorker, such as it is, I mean, I know I, I don't read much. I've read some articles. I've read certainly plenty of New Yorker pieces in my life, but I'm not somebody that rushes out to read the New Yorker. I, I tend to think of it as the the thing that you pick up for a moment when you're waiting in an old school doctor's or dentist's office before you go in. Uh, some of you are like, Buck, I actually pick up Field and Stream. Well, you go to a better dentist than I do. Uh, but this this is just the way that they are now. This is the expectation, I suppose, that if people get if people get upset on the left about somebody getting to speak, then the answer has to be don't allow them to speak. The answer has to be uh, they will withdraw any effort to engage. And it is just it, it is embarrassing. But I think increasingly that they're they feel forced into this because the left has got a lot of very, very delicate flowers, you know, people that really can't handle. They've over, they've internalized the era of Trumpism. They've over emotionalized it. And now they're just like, can't handle all the mean thoughts. And oof. Steve Bannon, too scary, too scary for the New Yorker uh, and the celebrities that piled on. How could you have Bannon come and speak? By the way, if I'm Bannon, you got to love this. It's great press for him. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for roll call. Indeed it is. Is roll call time. My favorite time, at least when it comes to this show. Uh, let's get to it. We have first Mark Anthony, not to be confused with the pop singer. He writes, hey, Buck, my uh, Connecticut Senator Blumenthal protested at the hearing because of documents not released. Two questions. Has he actually read all available uh, Kavanaugh has so far? Had the other docs been released, is he going to read all of them as well? Shield tie, Mark Anthony. No, Mark, it's ridiculous, man. And I know you know this, which is why you're asking the question. It is completely and utterly ridiculous 
400,000 pages? Folks, if you tried to stack 400,000 pages in your living room floor, it would probably hit the ceiling. Probably go above the ceiling. I mean, it's just insane. They're, they want to, they're going to review those documents. Looking for what, by the way? Do they think that Kavanaugh wrote somewhere, I'm a secret crypto Nazi? I mean, what, what do they really think they're going to find? They haven't gone through the 400,000 that they've been given. They're never going to go through it. And now they're pretending that, oh, there's another 100,000 that they can't see that they really need. It's just, it's pathetic. These people are unserious. They are unserious. Uh, but, uh, Mark, I think you, I think you know that one. Uh, Lorenzo, uh, or rather Thomas, pardon me, Lorenzo, I got to skip that one, writes, Buck, how do you, how valid do you think these congressional hearings are when members of the hearing panel blatantly lie to the federal judge they are questioning? I've been listening to these opening statements by, by members and no less than four Democrats have stated that Judge Kavanaugh is unacceptable because he represents a president who's under investigation for crimes he committed They never elaborate on what those crimes are because there are none. This hearing is a waste of time since the Democrat members on the panel have already decided to vote against Judge Kavanaugh. This is just another media show, a waste of taxpayer money. Thomas, indeed, indeed. That is all quite true. Now let me also add to it and say that uh, this notion that because there's allegations against the president, he can't be the president is just garbage, right? I mean... Where, do, where does that stop and start? If one person makes an allegation against the President of the United States, does he lose all of his powers? Does he have to step down? They keep saying that on the record, on the record, I mean, they're playing all these, playing all these disingenuous games, like with the Michael Cohen, uh, ele- the election campaign finance issue that's come up. They say that this has... Uh, they say that this has turned into something that's on the record now, but it hasn't been adjudicated. It doesn't It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any meaning, really, other than just being an allegation. But they act like, oh, well, now it's, it's signed, sealed, and delivered because Michael Cohen said so. Michael Cohen is a proven liar, so there's no reason to take his word for anything other than the word of a liar. Hannah writes, few things about the Kavanaugh hearings, Buck. If they didn't know about the documents until last night, how did Blumenthal get those posters so fast? Why did the protests seem so timed out, Schumer? That's all. Have a nice evening. Great show as always. Freedom Hut is my jam. Hannah? Hannah's the Freedom Hut's jam. You know what I mean. Uh, Yeah, the hearing today was bonkersville, man. It really was. It was just crazy. I don't know what it's going to take for the left to do a little bit of housekeeping and get their loonies a bit more in line, but it was way, way out there today, I gotta tell you. Um, Next up here, we get Paul writes, Buck, loyal podcast listener here, just finished listening to Two Door Kickers and a Desk Ninja. Hilarious as expected, but all three of you missed the boat on sports versus games. There are only three real sports. Bullfighting, auto racing, and mountain climbing. All three involve the real possibility of death Everything else is a game. Shields high. Paul. Paul, uh, can't say I've ever heard that definition of a, of a sport before. So, interesting. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't think I can agree with you, but I like your outside-the-box thinking. And thank you for listening to Three Door Kickers and a Desk Ninja. Uh, or rather, two. No, I'm not a door kicker. Two door kickers and a desk ninja. I'm the desk ninja. 
I uh, hope you enjoyed that. That's our Freedom Hut podcast. It's in the Buck Sexton Show feed. Folks, I, I have kind of a fun announcement to make for all of you. Starting next week, uh, we are going to do a little experiment with something. For those of you who are in the uh, podcast-specific world, we are going to release the Buck Sexton Show as a podcast earlier on in the day, meaning that I'm going to get to a mic before lunchtime and drop an hour of content as the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And then later on in the day, that's right, three hours of radio, baby. So that's going to be a way to make sure that I can get ahead of some of the things in the news cycle. It'll be shorter. Remember, it'll probably be about an hour. So it won't be the full three hours of this uh, until later. But we're going to do it. We're going to start dropping the Buck Sexton Show podcast probably around 11 a.m. Eastern. And so, because I'm already drilling into all the news in the morning to do my morning TV show, the idea is I go do TV, I then bang out an hour of podcast content for all of you, diving into the news cycle of the day, getting into, you know, what's going on. So this way also, those of you who are driving home, you know, if, you, if you're going to be a little home before this show, say, airs on your mark, in your market, you'll be able to, to you know, to look, it's the three-hour radio show stays the same, folks. I don't, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't change at all. I'm just saying we're going to be doing an earlier podcast in the day. That'll be a breakdown of news of the day. We'll run through it that way. And those of you who are podcast listeners, uh, you can you can hear from me. Because right now, the way it goes is by the time the, the show is over, the first time you've heard from me, those of you who are podcast listeners, is 9 Eastern maybe, uh, sometimes later than that. So this way, we get it up early, and then later on, you can listen to the full show if you want. Um, but the, the podcast in the morning is going to be a little more of a free form rundown on all the day's events. So it, it'll just give it an easier way. This way I'm coming at the news cycle from all sides. The three hour show we're doing here is a deep dive wrap up of all things from the day. The one hour show early in the morning is going to be more breaking news headlines, what I'm seeing, what's coming out there, uh, a slightly different vibe. But, uh, those of you who are also radio listeners, I would encourage you to uh, set up either on iTunes or stitcher.com. It's totally free. And subscribe to the Buck Sexton Show, because that way you'll be able to get these early podcasts. And we'll also put, we have other things in the feed too, the Shields High podcast and other things as well. Um, so then we have Martin who writes, where on your Facebook page do you find the link to email Team Buck for roll call? Martin, you found it, because you did it. You have written us via roll call. You are now on roll call, Martin, but you perhaps want to give us something a little bit more substantive than where do I find roll call? because you find yourself now in the midst of it. Uh, my friend, please do write back again. We'll get you back on the air. Shields high and good to talk to you. Cat writes, Buck, love the show as always. Last night while watching Dr. Phil with my husband, a guest on the show was referred to as a misogynist. I had never heard this term and asked my husband what it meant. He correctly explained to me, but asked me to Google it to fact check him. I simply entered misogynist in the search bar and hit enter. There at the very top of the page before the actual definition was a large picture of Trump. So when Google claims to show no political bias, I think they'd have to question it. Shields high, Kathy. Uh, yeah, Kathy, I mean, there's there's the media. I've been saying it for a long time, folks. The, the Silicon Valley far-left evangelists, they really do believe in progressive ideology and they're trying to advance it and use their massive platforms and incredibly deep pocket uh, pockets to do so. Alan, Buck, what are the odds that the struck GoFundMe 
is just a front for paying him off to keep things quiet about some other things. Or maybe a less nefarious way for liberals to reward him for services rendered. <clears throat> well, Alan, I think that's kind of what's going on here. I think that the struck, uh, the struck GoFundMe account is essentially a uh, hashtag resistance slush fund that they've set up for him. And, and it sends a very clear message to anyone else that if you stand with the resistance, there will be money for you. There will be fame for you. They will take care of you. If you decide to uh, stand with Trump, they will do everything in their power to annihilate you. Uh, They will do everything they can to destroy your life. Philip uh, writes, good limo quote, Buck, Black Hawk Down. Correct, Philip. It is indeed from Black Hawk Down. Adam, I knew I was going to get in trouble for this one. Buck, I was stunned that you didn't like Boondock Saints. I think it would be right up your 80s action alley. But alas, as an animal lover, the cat scene likely did you in. Shields high. Yeah, I didn't didn't like the cat scene. And uh, I, I just... You know, I think it's a little dated, folks. There are some movies, there are some movies that I, I can tell you, I, I check them out, and I know now that mostly I like them for reasons of nostalgia. You know, that the, the the main thing about them that that gets me, you know, like I like the movie Young Guns probably with Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen more than I should because I watched it with my brother so many times growing up. It's not a great movie. It's not a very good western, but it's entertaining for what it is. Um, There are some movies that fall in that category for me. I feel like for a lot of folks, Boondock Saints is probably in that realm where it's really more the memory of watching it when they saw it and everything else. Because I feel like if you go back, it's pretty, you know, it's kind of silly. There's a lot of of stuff in it that's kind of silly. And and it doesn't really hold together all that much for me. Um, And like I said, if you compare it to a... a, a, uh, straight up action movie of t- of today like even John Wick where there's a lot of shooting and I'm not saying John Wick is not realistic but it's stylistic uh that which which I can handle right I can suspend disbelief for a reason um I, by the way I I'm seeing a lot of you are asking me about the uh, Jack Ryan series on Amazon um I've I've read a I read a review of it that said that it's like an homage to toxic masculinity American patriotism and uh, like white male entitlement sounds amazing. Sign me up. I'm going to watch it ASAP and give you all my review of it. So that's, that's all coming. I promise. That's going to be it for today here in the hut team. Uh, excited to be with you every day for the rest of the week. Uh, please do. If you haven't already uh, subscribe to the Buck Sexton show podcast on iTunes. I will see you tomorrow team as always shields high. Folks, do you ever find yourself wincing at the weak sauce taste of some of those left-leaning corporate brand commie coffees? You know, I bet you wish that they spent less time on meaningless bias training and their bathroom access policy and more time making some delicious coffee and spreading freedom and loving America. Drink Black Rifle Coffee. It's my coffee of choice. I drink it every day. I keep a box of K-Cups on my desk at work and one here at home in the Freedom Hut. And it's absolutely delicious. I've converted so many of my colleagues to it. They drink it. They've become subscribers now as well. You should do the same. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You'll receive 15% off. It's a nice little discount. 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. They've also got some gear up on the site. Uh, Check it out. Try it for yourself. Different blends. Delicious coffee. Support patriots. Support veterans. 
drink Black Rifle coffee. 